0: You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So foreign to your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, The Antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy The Antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey Podcast. For more information, head over to legends, myths, and com. Hello, and welcome to episode number 714 of the Wicked Library. Before we get started with today's story, I want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to rate and review the show in iTunes since last week. There were 15 of you, so thanks so much for that. Really means a lot to know that you guys are enjoying what we're doing. And of course, as always, thank you so much to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. We've had some new Patreon supporters since the last episode as well. You guys are awesome. If you want to see who the cool kids are, you can head on over to the wickedlibrary.com and look at the front page over on the right-hand side below the sponsor images. You'll see a list of all the folks that keep the show free for everyone else. We're almost at our $150 a month level, which means that if you're supporting the show at $5 a month and above, you're going to be getting bonus stories every month. You'll find those over at Patreon.com forward slash Wicked Library. Now, before we get started... Why don't we share a few of the reviews that we got from you guys, the listeners, since our last episode. I'm going to do a couple here, and then we'll have the rest of them at the end of the episode after the interview. So if you don't hear your review here, stay tuned after the interview, and you will hear your review. First, from Signee Who, that's S-I-G-N-E-H-O-W, quality podcast. Don't miss out of this one. This is a wonderful, spooky storytelling podcast which uses the freedom of time in podcasting to its full advantage. No short, weak stories here. From Finland, Those Who Enjoy Horror Stories by EN underscore N1. A good podcast for people who enjoy other podcasts like Tales to Terrify and No Sleep. Honored to be mentioned along with such great shows. Audio is great and it's well edited. A pleasure to listen. Oddity1985 great podcast that is well produced and transports you into the stories creeping the crap out of you on a weekly basis. Highly recommended to anyone who likes horror or sci-fi. Again, thanks so much to everyone who takes the time to rate and review the show. We'll have some more at the end of the show, but for right now, let's go ahead and get wicked. Society 13 podcast network redefining podcasts society-13.com I like to listen be warned friends this episode of the wicked library is intended for a mature audience it contains violence murder people touching their naughty bits copious amounts of blood, villainy, and very rude words. If you're up for that kind of thing, then tune in, sit down, grab the popcorn. If not, best to leave now rather than write nasty letters tomorrow. We accept no responsibility for damage to your delicate sensibilities if you continue beyond this point. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live.
1: The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now
0: of the getting's good. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian.
1: There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, whirls and girls. This is going to be a dark ride we we'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story
2: time at the Wicked Library.
0: <laughs> there will be refreshments by James Johnson. The 1959 Chevrolet Impala purrs down the roadway, leaving behind the quaint neighborhoods on the outskirts of the city. The previous night's rains have cleared the city grime that always managed to coat everything. The Impala's headlamps shine on the highway ahead while the instrument panel illuminates Mark and Vicki in the cabin. They are on their way to her uncle's farmhouse for the week, a vacation long overdue. Vicki had been after Mark to go since her aunt passed away eight years prior. He'd promised time and again, but something always came up at work. Mark, unlike Vicky, who is employed as a stenographer, is not classically employed. He tells the neighbors that he works odd jobs as a repairman, cleaner, and driver. Some of the neighbors may have put Mark's vague skill set to the test, if it had not been for the arguments heard from Vicky's inherited house. A man with little regard for preventing his private affairs from spilling into the neighborhood could simply not be trusted to have proper regard for his neighbor's matters. Mark is neither violent nor resentful toward Vicky. He deeply loves and cherishes her. She had, after all, saved his life when they were younger. He had been an ordinary hood, picking pockets and robbing houses, when he met two men moving drugs. Mark began as a lookout, then as a driver. He began packing a gun and shot a man before the age of twenty. One night, when he was supposed to go in for his first deal, he and Vicky got into a fight. They argued for over an hour, separated and Mark left. After discovering the others had left without him, he checked into a motel to wait. Afternoon the following day, the crew had still not returned. Mark attempted to call a few of the men and received no answers. That evening, on the radio, he heard that there had been a massacre. Several men found dead in their ransacked motel rooms and their vehicles razed. Mark immediately called Vicki. She had saved his life, and, infidelity aside, would never leave her again. It's stuffy in here, Vicky mutters, cracking the window. Mark sighs and adjusts the heater. She had been irritable all day. He had not come home last night, and it was not work that kept him. She always knows the difference, though she never calls him out just becomes irritable and sharp-tongued. Glancing over, Mark admires her hair, molten chocolate cascading down across her shoulders. So beautiful. He doesn't sleep with other women in order to fulfill some deprived desire. It makes him love Vicki more. A couple of the guys in the new outfit laughed when he'd mentioned the theory. He never brought it up again. The men utilizing his talents for the past eight years were the same crew who had taken out his previous employers. Their operation was massive and had the muscle to prevent encroachment. Beginning with Prohibition, they gained experience through the years and wiped most of the competition out of the city. Only two families truly rule. A few branch-offs and smattering of upstarts keep the spice in life but he feels safe. Vicki rolls the window up, releasing her seatbelt to remove her sweater. Mark steals a glance as her blouse stretches upward, revealing her midriff. I love you, Vicki. She tosses her sweater into the back seat and rubs her hand on Mark's leg. I love you, Mark, even when I rattle your cage. Vicky makes an amused sound, hand running the inside of his thigh. Maybe, baby. Mark, what's that? Mark looks forward. Two sets of headlights are fast approaching, one with an emergency beacon. Police chase. The two vehicles are nearing at an alarming rate. The lead car unable to hold a straight line. Mark presses down on the accelerator. The Impala responding instantly. His leg aches as Vicky digs her fingers in. What are you doing? shouldn't we pull over and be sitting still when that rocket loses control no thank you the speedometer climbs through 70 nearing 80. the lead car veers nearly halfway across the center line before swerving back mark's foot hesitates on the pedal leveling out at 87 miles per hour then shoves it to the floor The engine screams, Needle climbing faster, cresting one hundred as the cars come within fifty feet. A matter of one-third of a second, Mark glances over, absently noting that the lead car is a Dodge Coronet. The driver, so intent behind the wheel, has to be on drugs. The car veers again. Jesus Christ! Mark twitches the wheel, the Impala leaping away, but the Coronet clips the rear. Mark jerks the wheel back, overcorrecting. The car twists, missing the police standard 1960 Galaxy Starliner by breaths. Shit. Oh god, please. Vicky's hand clutches at Mark's shoulder and the car weaves as he yanks loose of her grip. He twists the wheel back and the tire explodes from the strain, jerking control from Mark stars fill the windshield as the car sails up an embankment son of a our father the impala tips the ground rising into view bitch who art in heaven the nose of the car lines up with the ground as it rises from a 15-foot gully. the car crumples into the bank and hangs for a moment before the rear drops with a jarring crash The trooper stands in the road, dumbfounded. His quarry had wrapped the coronet around an elm and the impala. A lone headlight shines into the night sky. Dispatch, this is Patrolman Harper. Over. Mark groans, waking to an irregular drip. There is no pain, only the vague recollection that there should be. Panic grips his mind as he lay on the ground. The accident. Am I paralyzed? Vicki. Vicki had taken her seatbelt off. Had they been ejected from the car? Opening his eyes, Mark sits up in utter darkness. Vicky. He waits for a response. There should be voices, engines running, anything. The drip mocks him. Vicky? Vicky! Lights blare, bathing him in the stadium glow. Hello? Who's there? Mark quests shakily. Mark Hampson. We've been expecting you. Please proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. He peers into the light, hands shielding his eyes. Who are you? Proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. Mark twists around. The voice comes from all directions, amplified as if through speakers. Fuck your refreshments! I want answers, damn it! Where so be it? Mark gasps as pain shoots throughout his body. His limbs contort and thrash independently, pitching him to the ground. Searing pain rips through his chest and explodes in his head. The lights kick off, leaving him silently screaming to the dark. Minutes or hours go by and the pain lessens throbbing in time to the damned, inconsistent drip. A single bank of lights return to life. Proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. Mark stumbles to his feet, clutching his head. Swaying, he makes his way toward the light. The source lowers as he approaches, or perhaps he's climbing toward it. Even protected by his hands, the lights scorch his retinas and threaten to blister his skin. Just as he can't bear another step, darkness descends. Opening his eyes, Mark finds himself standing in the doorway of a bar. Smoke meanders lazily above the heads of jovial patrons. Not a seat remains, with as many standing as sitting. After the dazzling floodlights... The dim interior distorts the figures. The back of one catches his eye. Wavy hair falls just below the shoulders. Mark moves through the crowd, mindless of jostled elbows and muttered curses. He grabs the woman's shoulder. Vicky! She turns, revealing an impish face, with eyes set too close together. The mouth, filled with conical teeth of erratic size, spills open,
1: "'Vicky!'
0: "'Fuck!' he exclaims and recoils in disgust. The woman advances, reaching out invitingly. "'Fuck! "'Vicky! "'Fuck!' He roughly shoves it away, ducking into the crowd. As he escapes, he notices that the patrons are distorted, not a trick of the light. "'Jesus Christ!' a fist slams into mark's face another into the side of his head pain lances his kidney he collapses to his knees with a cry blood flowing freely from nose and mouth two frightful creatures loom above one with an elephant trunk and beady eyes set below writhing tentacles the second with two mouths set to either side of its equestrian nose and wild red hair spread below cracked antlers. Mark fumbles to his feet, the elephant-like creature restraining his enraged cohort. The air takes on a palpable malice as the room swings madly, dropping Mark to his knees, vomiting. Thorny skeletal hands lift and shove Mark forward, slipping through his expulsion. He windmills into an impossibly obese body. The bar fills with grating laughter, saw blades ripping through metal. Mark squints blearily into the face of the overweight being, its pyramid head set with one onyx eye near the apex, and a feline mouth. S-surrrrrr. The beast hammers Mark's face with a club-like arm. Two needle-sharp claws tear flesh as he twists the door. The tiny mouth splits the Hulk's face. Laughter like smashing rocks in a rusty meat grinder. A large orangutan lifts Mark, glaring with bulldog eyes. With a snarl from its tusked maw, the ape hurls Mark through a back door. The floor doesn't catch him. As up becomes down, left becomes up, and right ceases to exist. He feels consciousness slipping. Or perhaps returning. Wake up. Dreams aren't supposed to hurt. Mark awakens in a stark white room, ceiling tiles throbbing with his pulse. A dream. Where? The hospital. The accident. Oh, God, Vicky. Mark jerks upright, panic squeezing his heart. He is on the floor. The only furniture in the room, a large mahogany desk, is piled high with papers. A teetering nameplate declares it to be BZ LeBub's Mark stands, and the room, lit by an unseen source, loses what little detail it had. Leaning over the stacks, he spies a diminutive man, balding, egg-shaped head bent over a collection of papers. Uh, the boob? he tentatively queries. The man looks up, one arched eyebrow lifting as dark, narrow eyes pierce Mark's soul a thin mouth balanced on a strip of hair running from lower lip to chin parts ever so slightly in a slick smile one that knows you better than any lover and that you have come to the right place his face quickly drops into that of the annoyed and harassed it's labub what where am i mark asks nervously hell Mark frowns as Lebub shuffles some papers. I must still be dreaming. Well, it's time to wake up, Mark Hab uh, Hakal Ah Ampson. Mark Ampson. How do you know my name? Lebub rolls his beady eyes and mutters, "For the cruelty of love." He taps the papers in his hand. This, this tells me all about you, like when you tortured that cat, oh so mercifully killed it, then desecrated the corpse with firecrackers. The impish man allows a cruel chuckle before continuing. (laughs) Several counts of murder, arson, accessory to multiple murders, indirect child molestation and murder- What? I never- Do not interrupt me, Mark. You sold drugs to men whose addictions grant just cause to perform any dark deed or heinous act to obtain their fix. The bub's brow twitches as Mark pales. Oh, come off it. If you gave a shit, you wouldn't be here. Now, oh my. Pages of assaults, adultery, numerous occasions, but with such a finite selection. How... I do love your theory, by the way. Deliciously deceitful. How... what... Mark's knees give out and he plops on a chair that was not present seconds ago. LeBub silently goes over the remainder of the sheets, little body shaking with mirth. Such a tough guy. He drops the papers as he says to Mark, Reckless endangerment of that caliber is simply negligence. Thus, your death shall be ruled a suicide. But then, you knew the risk, and you certainly acted the fool. Mark stands angrily, knocking the chair backward. He glares at LeBub, then turns away, growling. Fuck you! I'm out of here! Before he takes three steps, a paper airplane bounces off the back of his head. Get over here. Mark stares in shock as his legs move independently, walking him backwards, and perform an involuntary about-face. LeBub is glaring from atop his vacant desk, their noses nearly touching. So, you still don't believe me? Not that I actually care, but this part is so fun. LeBub is suddenly a half-goat, half-man creature, tiny satyr horns jut from curly hair. He smirks as Mark's eyes widen in surprise. Perhaps something a bit more unique. He changes again, this time into a man with blood-red skin, pointed facial hair, and a trident. Mark's lip twitches with a hint of a grin. LeBub wavers, his figure growing. His head elongates and widens into that of a snake's large ram horn sprouting from his skull. He growls and backhands Mark, bouncing him off the wall. Terrified, Mark slowly opens his eyes. The room is empty. You've just got to believe me. Oh, Mark, please. My day would be just awful. Oh, whatever shall I do? As the disembodied voice ceases, Mark jerks in unanticipated pain, writhing across the ground. He screams until breathless, then screams silently. Fire in his bowels, acid in his brain. Waves of hornets, ants, and scorpions assail his limbs. His body contorts wildly, lungs burning for air. An explosion in his gut sends him tumbling across the room. You sorry... Pathetic, filthy, insignificant. Mark's head abruptly ceases to move, a great weight bearing down on his skull. You are dead. In my domain. The agony ends, and LeBub is walking away as he reappears in his original form. He gestures in a vague direction. There's the door. Get fucked. Mark stands, breathing raggedly. I couldn't return to my life? LeBub stares daggers at him and snatches him by the collar. His visage grows and lifts Mark off his feet. Why in hell would you want to do that? "My, My wife, Vicky. LeBub sneers. Of course, your wife, Vicky. Pah. He drops Mark and turns his back. Go. Now. How? LeBub gestures tiredly toward the door. Walk that way for the eternity of a day. There do the gates await your blessed carcass. Now go. Mark hurries out, glancing anxiously toward LeBub. As he fades into the gloom, LeBub laughs and that is heard throughout hell. Mark approaches the open gates with confidence. Hell it turns out is not nearly as terrible as all the fanatics claim. No lakes of fire, seas of the damned or eternal repetition. Just a few frightful experiences and a long walk to the gates. A wonder that more people did not just get up and walk out. But then I didn't see anybody else, aside from demons. As he exits the gates, he spots skin and bone twin demons with elongated appendages throwing dice. One looks up, blocking its gaze on Mark, spittle oozing through twisted teeth. He feels a tickle in the back of his head, just under the skin. Where? Does fleshless soul wonder? Multicolored lights kaleidoscope across his vision as the voice penetrates his mind. Dice. The fleshless soul will dice. Mark reels and staggers into the closed gates. Churning, he sees the teeming souls. A lost, angry, hateful sea. They whisper and shout silently. Pointing accusingly through one another. None notice him any more than they do each other. Twisted nails upon protracted fingers clutch Mark's shoulder, digging in when he pulls away. Dice. He shudders with revulsion as the voice undulates across his mind, trailing black, viscous tar. The demon drags him over and shoves him to a squat. Dice. The second demon drops faceless dice into Mark's hand. The shock of their incredible cold causes him to drop them with a hiss. Obscure symbols appear on the upturned sides. Brave fleshless rolls before stakes. The demon's inky eyes reflect his terrible mirrors, and Mark sees his reflected self writhing. He looks away, asking... What are the stakes then? Soul. Fleshless. Win. Leave. Lose. Eat. The second demon picks up the dice, rattles them, and casts. Mark tries to read the demon's faces as the dice settle, symbols meaningless once more. Equal roll, fleshless. Fleshless dices. Fleshless knows not rules. The demon scoops the dice, applies a perfunctory rattle, and casts. Both demons gesture maniacally. Throw, fleshless. Only Trump can save. None throw Trump. Mark snags the dice, then drops them, crying out as they burn his flesh. They bounce, and faces appear. The two demons smile broadly, showing an impossible quantity of teeth. The final die bounces, and is still. Eyes sprout from either side, and a third splits into a terrible mouth. Fleshless, no! The cannibalistic die falls upon the others, consuming its brethren. The demons huddle together, glaring balefully at Mark. Cheats and swindles like honor matters. Pain upon ye. Pain forever. Go now. Never be seen by us. Pain. 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 Mark falls backwards, body locking as his brain sizzles and pops. His eyes roll up, and everything turns gray. He is standing alone. In the gray world. Confused, he begins walking in a random direction. He walks forever and a day. Through the haze of the gray nothingness, Mark becomes aware of a grinding noise. In the distance is an old ramshackle alehouse, and his next two steps stand him directly at its front. The grinding comes from a neglected water wheel, rotating, though there is no water. Rough-hewn boards tell the house's age, and a sign above the door depicts a man drinking from the skull of a minotaur. Mark contemplates the scene for a moment, then decides against entering. Given his last visit to an establishment of hell, he is not eager for a second round. He turns and is overcome with an acutely parched throat. What the hell? I have been walking for a long time. What could one drink hurt? He pushes through the door, and is greeted by the stares of several dozen grisly bikers. The barkeep, a portly boulder of a man, glowers from the far end. The smell of blood, shit, and cat piss invades his nostrils. Three brawny bikers shove through the doorway, forcing him to the bar. Sitting in a chic 50s stool, Mark waves to the rotund bartender. He and the motorcyclist pointedly ignore his presence. Fuck this. No sooner do his feet hit the floor than a frosty mug appears in his hand. Why would people in hell want ice water when they can have an ice-cold stout... He settles back at the bar, Irishmen clapping him on the back and cheering him when he downs the drink. The womanly barkeep claps and gives him a wink, filling another tankard and delivering it with a generous view down her taut blouse. Another wink, and she's bustling down the bar, leaving Mark smiling into his tankard. Mark? Mark? The voice filters to Mark's ears through a sea of dark berets. Turning, he spies a slight figure in a bad leisure suit, pushing through the crowd of crisp three pieces sprinkled with remnants of beatniks. The man finally slithers through. Up close, his suit shows signs of wear and fraying at the hems. Mark, you son of a bitch. Good to see, well, uh, hi. Mark feels as though he should be surprised, but it makes sense to see his old partner here. You look like you've been through... Oh, you look like shit, Iggy. Iggy grins and shoves up to the bar next to Mark. I always look like shit. How long you been here? Mark surveys the room. Well, I've seen micks, bikers, hot rodders, Nazis, and everything in between. The beatniks have dispersed, and the decor has the air of a dinner club where men of respect mingle with wise guys. I entered a frontier watering hole, and now fear I'll leave the site of the bomb. Iggy takes a pull of his beer. "'Say you haven't been here long. "'Where'd they send you?' "'I'm going home. "'I just stopped for a drink,' Mark says, perplexed. "'That's so.' "'Yeah.' Mark scowls into his pint. "'Iggy, I can't get drunk. (laughs) "'It doesn't work like that, Mark.' This is hell, after all. So, how were things when you left? When I left? When you died. Iggy gives a snaggletooth grin. Oh, well, going well, I suppose. Mateo finally gave out. So all that backhanded bullshit we dealt with is over. The docks are primarily in our hands. Brendan and his drunken louts got deported back to Little Ireland. Oh, the how about that asshole that snitched on me? Mark shifts his weight uncomfortably. Uh, inside guy wasn't able to do much before... Well, I died. What about Estefana? You sort that little whore out? Oh, yeah, she got it. Good. Traitorous slut. Betrayal comes so easy to women. But men, we live by an ironclad code of honor. Salute. Iggy slams a sudden-appearing shot with one hand and the other still holding his eternally full beer. "'How's Vicky?' he asks, right-eye twitching. Mark can feel the sweat starting on the back of his neck. Iggy had never been this to the point in life. He'd always been the guy for idle conversation and offhand jokes. "'Well?' Iggy rasps. Bloodshot eyes begin to bulge, face taking on a red cast. You fuck him at the same time, Marky boy, huh? Mark? 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 Mark jerks suddenly and looks around. Iggy has a hold on his arm, concern painted across his thin face. Mark, hey, you alright? I guess... Mark shakes his head. Maybe I am getting drunk the lights dim and everyone begins moving toward the stage where a spotlight is trained on a black sequined curtain oh yes Gloria's on you'll love her Mark gorgeous sexy Iggy drifts with the crowd we've got similar taste after all what Mark frantically grabs his arm Iggy I said she's got a beautiful face to top all come on Iggy, I I can't. I'm. I'm not drunk, Iggy. Relax, Mark, you are. He pulls loose, transfixed. Mark looks to the stage as well defined legs kick from the curtain. The filmy dress scantily stretched from hips to inordinate breasts. An ocean of black frothing curls frames perfectly arched eyebrows above alluring eyes. Luscious wine lips smile as her sultry voice caresses the microphone. Her bare shoulders sway seductively with every beat of her raven wings. Wings? Mark scrubs his face and looks again. The scaled wings enwrap her, talons twinkling as they pull back, revealing translucent nakedness. An iridescence glows from within, pulsing in rhythm to her voice. Mark stumbles backward into an anteater with pointed ears and spider's eyes crowning its head. Fucking hell! He shoves between a fuzzy armadillo with dragonfly wings and a misshapen brontosaur with arms resembling a traffic-jammed freeway. At the door, Mark glances back. Gloria is wearing Vicky's face, crooning to the room of phallic melting candles. He throws himself through the door, stumbling off a curb and onto a rain slicked pavement. Fuck! God damn shit! Fuck! Mark screams. He stares in alarm at warehouses. How do I leave this forsaken hellhole? You can't, states a voice from behind. An obese, muscular man with stringy hair and yellowed complexion waddles up beside Mark who asks, What do you mean I can't? I was told I could, and I fucking will. I just can't find a way out. The man's hairless brows rise. Oh, the exit's over there. A large sausage-like finger points to a clock tower in what appears to be 18th century London, complete with anachronic electric lights. Mark turns back to find the man, warehouses and pavement gone. He mutters a curse and starts down the barren hall. The town is completely devoid of life, though lights burn in every window. The face of the warped angular clock tower shines like a beacon. Mark follows the warped and broken streets, shuddering at feeling watched. The base of the tower resembles a gothic church, though sagging like plastic left in the sun too long. Shouldering aside oaken doors many times taller than himself, Mark knows a terrible dread. The church is a horrible place, one where even the worst would tread lightly. He shuffles forward, cringing. Of course it would be here. Hide it where no one's got the nerve to go. The twisted, godforsaken church... Locating the tower stairs, he ascends through a trap door in the ceiling. The room is filled with a black mist that eddies about his feet. He swipes at the fog, but nothing happens. Casting about, he spies a pale figure passing a dozen feet away. Mark calls out, but the heedless figure bustles on. Mark tracks the figure through the miasma to a door without walls. Opening the portal... Passes into a room filled with black murk. Mark rushes forward as the latch clicks shut. He yanks it open, exposing more of the voluble moss on brick landscape. He slams the door and glares at the rolling terrain. Suddenly, clarity floods his mind. Son of a bitch, he grins, turning the knob again. Vicky sits within tending the fire of their one-room hovel in Western Ireland. Mark sweeps in, embracing her. The door clicks shut behind. Mark! Vicky screams from outside the hovel. Mark sprints out the front door toward Vicky in the garden, screaming in terror at something above the house. At her side, he turns to see an enormous buttocks defecating on their quaint roof. Crying hysterically, Vicky runs. A gunshot rings out and she spills forward. A cowboy astride a terrible warhorse canters up, easily sidestepping Vicky's prone body. Mark gapes in horror. Jeez uh-huh. Uh-huh. chastens the steed as he rears up, cowboy collapsing like a ragdoll from its back. Four hooves rest on its hips while sightless sockets bore into Mark. You can bring her back, you know. Mark falls to the ground. You can talk? The horse whinnies with laughter. (laughs) Oh, unholiest! You are one dumb, ignorant asshole! Forsake God, little mortal soul, and she is yours again! Mark stands shakily. That's it? The horse nods, picking up the cowboy. Then I forsake God. The horse's head jerks toward Mark, then begins whinnying fanatically, head tossing wildly. Mark falls over himself, trying to get away. He looks at Vicky in anticipation. He frowns. Nothing happened. The horse twitches the cowboy's pants and mounts him rather inappropriately, while the cowboy laughs. What'd you expect it happen? He reaches back, swatting the horse's thigh, and with that, they ride off in tandem. Mark approaches Vicky's corpse cautiously. He gently rolls her over, and her chest expands with renewed life. You're alive. Yes, lover. She pants. Now fuck me like one of your whores. She grabs him by the crotch and pulls him toward her. Fuck me hard now. I'll beg. Please, Mark, fuck my juicy gunt. Mark smacks her and backs away. What? Vicky, what the... Vicky gets to her knees and crams her fingers into her groin, the other hand holding her face. Mark, you demon. Beat me, kick me, come on my face. Her hand moves, exposing the lacerated and bruising cheekbone. Mark, Mark... "'Mark!' she cries ecstatically. "'You are not Vicky?' Vicky grins maniacally. "'You want your pay per fuck, Estefana?' She starts crying. "'For that junky bitch, Janet!' She wails and throws herself to the ground. Mark glances around sheepishly, then kneels beside her. She backhands him with a vicious snarl, and he tumbles out of the plane. "'No!' he cries as winds buffet his face and the city rushes to meet him. No! Dark shapes flit by too quickly to perceive clearly. Terror clutches his chest. Then a pleasing warmth envelops his genitals. The two feelings produce an infinitely large conflict within Mark's mind. Firm hands caress his hips, and he looks down into knowing violet eyes. More hands move across his face. Be at ease. Croons an easy baritone He reels as sapphire eyes pass through his vision And luscious lips press upon his Mark knows bliss and surrenders to intense passions Fiery, acidic pain explodes through his hips and abdomen His eyes snap open The figure between his legs Crashing its hips into Mark's Each thrust barbed lightning The second figure smashes its hips into Mark's face shattered glass raking his tongue and tearing his throat. He attempts to cry out but chokes. Magma courses into his veins searing his blood. They hit the ground and every cell of his being explodes across his consciousness. Mark is standing gazing at a most inviting river. Bound by meandering banks of sand it flows beyond sight. He rushes forward stripping his clothes and leaps for the cleansing depths. The surface bends, pulling away, and he cracks the riverbed with a sickening snap. He screams in agony, arm bone jutting, and blood spurts pulling at his feet. From above come voices, the frightened and their frighteners. Whimpering, Mark peers around, the riverbank, soft and slippery radiate the hateful heat of the sun. Droplets of blood pop and hiss. There is nowhere to hide as one bank fills with scared men, women, and children, and the other with hitmen, thugs, and guns for hire. They open fire on the defenseless crowd, impossible amounts of slugs and shot rending flesh from bone. Blood sizzles down the banks, and the dead topple in wet smacks. Motors roar as a second wave of criminals appear, firing Thompsons into rivals. Men swear, their falling bodies replaced by wives, girlfriends, and even their children. Bugles sound, and thousands of soldiers rush forward, firing muskets and revolvers as they charge their steeds into the carnage. Nausea threatens Mark as the scent of cordite mingles with scorched flesh. Mark transfixed on the macabre show ignores the rising bloodline every body that dies gushes forth life filling the ravine the dead flow into the river each a hot coal bringing the sanguine fluid to a rolling boil the scalding liquid snaps Mark's daze and he lunges for the bank the thick bloody current grabs at his limbs threatening to drown him he swims hard every stroke bringing electric pain to his broken arm, the boiling gore blistering his flesh. Scabby chunks break away from the quaggy bank as he struggles for purchase. He grapples the dead, clambering upward. At the crest, he cries out, almost falling off. A hand grips a woman's severed head, the skull caved in. His eyes follow the muscled appendage past the shoulder, a gladiator's lifeless face contorted by pain and hate the Roman's opposite arm clutches a Tech 9 machine pistol Mark surveys the hushed scene everyone dead from or wielded a firearm of one style or another Hun, Greek, Irish English, Russian, Colombian all people of all nations from throughout history died horribly on the sands people he knew And people he had killed. People he had been with when they died. And people he had never seen. A small, timid cry reaches from ears further up the bank. Limping, he approaches the blood's edge where the river bends, searching. A gun barrel shoves roughly into the base of his skull. Time to die, you narcissistic, murderous goddamn son of a whore! His own voice, ten years younger states coldly. There is a reverberating crack and his head slams forward. His feet lift into the air as he plunges head first into the frothing river. Mark thrashes in wild panic. The simmering fluid had begun to reduce, becoming a viscous coagulating gel. He strives for the surface, lungs aching, pulse pounding. He can feel it just beyond his fingertips. Summoning every ounce of strength, he propels upward. Hands break the scabious surface, flailing arms sending globules flying. He rakes the crust, head bursting forth from the slobbery water. Stumbling, he catches the rounded edge of the dish. The water is fetid with drool. Mark swings his legs over the rim and slides down the outside of the pet bowl, retching on the gravelly surface below. Spluttering and wheezing He observes the gloom Stalagmites tease Stalactites to his right To his left, daylight Real, honest sunshine Beckoning from just around A gargantuan boulder Forcing his tattered body up He crawls toward the light Near the boulder He hears a thunderous rumble Goose flesh ripples up And down his arms He grabs at the boulder Coarse, scaly hair fills his hand. Lightning-quick fangs snap, and a roaring snarl splits the air, knocking Mark against the cave wall. Above, six fiery eyes glare balefully. One head snarls as the opposite gnashes its teeth. The middle bears its own low growl rumbling. Mark Hamson. the growl intones. Sinful syndicate scapegoats sent straight and soaking to travel the tepid Terra. Terry today, teeth tempted to tear. The heads lower threateningly. Mark trembles. He glances toward the lights. What? Leave, lech. Lest lust lure loyalty to lies. It booms menacingly. Quickly. Canines crave crunching cartilage. Mark sidles out toward the light. Why are you letting me go? Outstanding oaths obeyed, obnoxious one. ostensibly outside of occupation. Mark frowns at the beast, but a voice in his head demands he shut up and run. He mightily hobbles for the opening. Mark bursts from the door of the Broken Wing adult bookstore and arcade. He stumbles on the sidewalk. Staring dumbfounded. Horns blare up the road where Saint Street meets Marine Street. The autumnal breeze sends trash skittering down an alley where a skeezy pimp smacks his sodden whore. There is a foul pulse that can only be felt in the scuzzy back alleys of a living city. I'm back, he laughs nervously. I'm back, he whoops. The people along the grimy walk glance then ignore him, except for one. A tall, thin figure, cut in black attire, with long white hair, is smoking a rolled cigarette at the corner of the bookshop. Mark is unable to make out the eyes from the shadow of its low boulder, but he can feel them. He shakes his head violently and looks around, laying a plan of action. I gotta find Vicky. His eyes fall back on the figure. Something about it. It flicks the cigarette away. It's only a movement, but it whispers loudly into Mark's head. She's dead. She died that night. Dead. He knows at once it's true. The figure nods. The knowledge staggers him like a blow to the gut. He slips off the curb and lands hard on hot pavement. No! Mark panics and starts backing away, the pavement sticking on his hands. The figure reaches out, arms sweeping gracefully. Mark's mind registers a far-off, inhuman screech. Then white-hot pain explodes in his skull. The driver runs around the car, screaming at Mark. You stupid, damned asshole! The black figure steps over Mark, passing the driver as though he does not exist, and becomes one with the crowd. Mark groans, waking to an irregular drip. There is no pain, only the vague recollection that there should be. To his left, a single bank of lights comes to life. Panic grips him as he lays on the ground. Proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for an interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wickedlibrary. You can be a part of helping us keep the show coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. The Wicked Library is sponsored by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey Podcast. Brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers, they bring culture to life through storytelling every week. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Also sponsored by Zombie Lips, they make the antidote for the human condition, a topical application that cures eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, the endless ailments we wish never happened. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode Microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com, which is R O D E.com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes can be found at thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Don't forget to rate and review the show. And now, an interview with the author.
1: Um, so, welcome to the Wicked Library, dear James, dear James.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> and for those of you listening in, this is James. You want to be called Johnson here?
2: Um. You know what? I published this particular story as Johnson, so sure, why not? Cool.
1: James Johnson, everyone.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> Hello, everyone.
1: As is not surprising, there are lots of us who have random names for the internet. Mine is Jeanette Andromeda. That's my internet name. So, the first thing I wanted to ask you about was just about your writing and you as a writer, just a little bit beyond what we just heard in There Will Be Refreshments.
2: I've never considered myself a writer. Um, I just, I, I really disliked um, English class. Hmm. Uh, anytime there's a writing, Thing. It just, you know, either didn't like it or it would just upset me because I was like, you know, I can't write. What is this? <laughs> um, in college, I ended up, my um, English 1 class was uh, filled with high school students. I was the oldest one in there, and I, was, I decided I was not going to let um, a bunch of high school kids show me up. I was I was 24 at the time, so I'd been out for six years. And so I decided to apply myself, and huh, who knew, when you apply yourself to something, you might find out you're good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So since then, I just, um, you know, I'm just kind of like dabbled writing a little bit here and there, and then uh, back in 2010, I think, um, Alex and I had... um, we've been kind of working on comics together and I found myself tending to write them, you know, I had story ideas and as it turns out, it takes longer to draw something than to write something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who knew? So I started just kind of working on things as we would go and I had, you know, little bits and pieces that would pop up, little side comics I thought would be fun. Um, one of them we actually did start illustrating, um, in addition to the one we we're already working on, poor Alex. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> then we, we moved from Toledo, Ohio back to the West Coast, where I'm from, and in doing so, I put ended up putting myself in a situation where I had, I couldn't find a job, I had copious amounts of time on my hands, and You know, it booked me for a while, and then I was like, you know what, I need to at least do something with my extra time. And so I was like, well, you know, I should write. You know, I'm not a very good artist um, compared to Alex. And Hmm. so I just started writing anything and everything. Just if it popped in my head, I'd write it down.
1: Nice. Um,
2: And then with There Will Be Refreshments, I was just, I had started writing that in Toledo. I actually got kind of inspired for it by, uh, uh, I think it's Manson and Sneaker Pimps off of the Spawn soundtrack, Long Long Hard Road Out of Hell. And it wasn't going to be quite like the the main character was was going to be a little more likable. But then I decided to just make him somebody who just wouldn't, you know, you don't want to feel bad for him, but at some points you kind of do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think eventually uh, he did become uh kind of sympathetic because I, I, I actually I know exactly the moment when I was like oh this poor guy it was when the river turned into a scabby crusted over viscous fluid of some sort. I had actually bookmarked the section because it just was so <laughs> it was so gross. I was like, oh, this poor guy. It was at that moment when he was stuck in the river of awful.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I actually I haven't, I hadn't read it in a, a while because um, I think I actually finished it back in 2012. And I've read it once since then, so I picked it up last night and was just like, I you know, figured refresh myself, and I'm just like, "Oh, that's that's gross." <laughs> and, you know, and and to make matters worse, is I can still picture it exactly the way I had it in my head. And yeah. So I'm, I'm like reading it, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, I'm glad I didn't like describe it to the point that it actually was in my head, because I don't think anybody would finish the book."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty gross. I could just, I think you did just enough justice to what I what. I don't know. You didn't have to describe it all the way. What was popped into my head was pretty nasty. <laughs>
2: well, good, good. So it's, um, it's it's definitely something I try to keep in mind when I'm uh, when I am writing. Is like you know what whatever will pop into your head is probably worse than any picture that I can paint into your head. <laughs> so good. I'm I'm glad you found it disgusting. Yeah, it
1: was it was nasty. And it was it was kind of funny, too, because um, as far as like the character went, how even at the beginning, he was still kind of likable, even though he was just a total scumbag, and it was really obvious how much of a slime ball he was. but um just because of his like moral approach to <laughs> adultery, it's kind of like well, I can almost see it. it's almost like an open relationship except y- you're not being honest about it, so Dot dot dot. Yeah,
2: open relationships tend to require you know at least um, a, a positive agreement on both ends.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of just one saying "and whatever, it's fine." I I enjoyed that aspect about his about his personality because it took him from just being like a general scumbag to being just interesting enough to make the journey that we went on with him like. Really engaging
2: good good. I um it, it was one of those things I wanted to paint him as just you know, I wanted him to be a bad guy, but I didn't want him to be, you know to the point where you didn't care that he got, you know that he went through hell. yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm glad that that um, that, that kind of caught
1: it definitely did. Um, did you draw on any specific in- inspiration to create this character, the story?
2: Um, you know, um, during initial concept, I may have. Um, we had probably, actually, we had probably recently watched, um, oh, shoot, Bray to Goodfellas. Ah. because um, I think, because actually, um, at one point I referenced, like, um, I like think the junkie bitch Janet, which I think Janet might be um, the name of the of, um, Bray Liotta's character's mistress and Goodfellas. Nice. <laughs> or I'm making it up one of the two.
1: <laughs> could be. I'm not as familiar with Goodfellas. So you could tell me that there was a horse race, and that's why you added the horse at the end there as well. And I'd be like, oh, wow, I don't remember that. That's cool. <laughs>
2: Just trust the um, well, others <laughs> I will I, I will Forgo telling any lies But <laughs> <laughs>
1: But to the best of your knowledge That may have been <laughs> A callback it,
2: it could have been It could have been cut I mean Yeah Maybe, maybe it's in the director's cut <laughs> Hey
1: You never know <laughs> <laughs> So um, What's your preferred method Of writing Like Some people love notebooks Some just like Type it all up In Evernote I'm curious What's your process
2: um, I used to I used to type because it it seemed to me you know why write it down and you know and, and waste the paper but I would find myself when I was typing to you know anytime I just, you know I'd start typing fast I'd get spell check errors and all that stuff and then I'd want to go back and fix them and that breaks the flow so um, that and didn't have a laptop for a long time. I didn't like hauling a laptop around with me all the time. So I just was like, you know what? There's a reason why there's paper and notebooks. And (laughs) so I just, you know, stick a notebook and a pen in a bag and haul it around with me. You know, at least to jot down ideas, if not actually just sit down and write something that pops in my head. Nice. So
1: do you do you do a lot of writing just kind of out and about? Like, or do you still kind of do a lot of it at home
2: um, until recently well say recently it's actually it's been it's probably been over a year now I haven't done much writing um, out and about I used mm-hmm. to when I had a single workplace um, I would always take a notebook with me and um, three jobs ago I worked at a liquor store and I would ride my bike there so it's like five miles away hmm and I would you know take a notebook or a pad of paper you know anything with lines and i'd get there early and so i just I'd sit you know if it's dry if it, if it wasn't like pouring down rain i'd sit outside and you know just write whatever i was working on at the time or write notes for other things if i wasn't inspired to work on that um and then do the same thing on my lunch break and i um you know, and then sometimes I'd come home and I'd write more, especially if I, you know, if I was just kind of really in a moment and ran out of time, come home and just like, you know, "Hi, babe, how are you?" da da da, and write. <laughs> um. And then my next job, I was cleaning houses. That doesn't exactly give you a whole lot of time to write before work or anything. Um, I'd still take a notebook with me, cause if I got to a house early. Um, you know, I just sit in my car and write a bit. Um, but now I deliver food, and there's not much time to write. Although I did actually, just the other day, um, I had some time between delivery shifts, and I actually took some stuff with me and wrote. I just, it was actually, it was kind of fun, and so I've left the stuff in my bag in case, you know, I have that time again to do it.
1: Nice. So you, you spend a lot of your writing time just on any borrowed minute you can find. Um,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, especially especially since I've kind of switched to um, drawing my, my own comic. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, drawing takes up a lot more time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to cram as much of my drawing time um, into the hours before I go to work because usually then it's a little easier for me to focus. Once I get home from work, it's a bit more flippant. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really, I do kind of still just, you know, like, oh, I've got you know, i got like five or ten minutes here. Let's let's read over what I had. Oh yeah, that was actually pretty good. Let's just change that and write. And then, you know, I'll look at the time and be like, oh, now I'm five minutes running five minutes later.
1: (laughs) And time goes Oh yeah. (laughs) So um now that you're also drawing your stories out, has the process of drawing them as comics changed how you approach each story?
2: It's starting to. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out because it's such a different beast than, um, you know, writing something that, you know, you have the intent of putting into a format strictly to be read um you know it's and in some ways i actually kind of shoot myself in the foot on this because i tend to be far less descriptive um sometimes i'll be a lot more vague on dialogue because i'm like you know oh well you know it's not sure exactly how i want to do that and because i don't want to write out this beautiful description and then be like i can't draw that what the hell was i thinking (laughs) and so i'll be a bit more vague about it and it's um it becomes difficult later, you know, it'll be a couple of months since I wrote something, by the time I actually get to drawing that part, I'm like, I don't even remember what was in my head for that. Mm-hmm. I should have at least written, you know, a couple of descriptive words. Um, and then on top of that, I've actually rewritten several parts, because as you're, you, know, as you draw everything out, you you know you'll erase a face like a dozen times and you'll finally get it right but you're like oh but they look way too happy to be delivering that particular line mm-hmm. and so then you have to go in and you rewrite like you know a portion of the story so there's it really has messed with the way I used to write cuz so it used to be a like kind of a free write and then go back and edit and cut and paste and etc.
1: Mhm. So it's kind of um made it a little bit more like a a longer edit time frame rather than just like it's out i edited it it's great so that makes sense because the art's gonna change things especially in a comic because it the comic the uh, the artwork is such a huge part of the storytelling too you know like you said that facial expression makes a whole world of difference when you're marrying the two together
2: it does, it does. It's really hard to, you know, have somebody, you know, quote some dark, dismayed line when they look all happy sunshine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or you can use that to your advantage, too. And then it's like, hey, little girl, why are you in this dark place looking so happy telling me the world's gonna end? Uh... <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Context. It's fun. <laughs> um, so what kind of themes do you like to draw from in your stories?
2: That's sometimes that can be quite um, spurious. Um, the uh, When I did There Will Be Refreshments, um, that was just, you know, um, I decided to do something that was, you know, because it was uh, inspired by the long, hard road out of hell thing. I was like, it's got to be very, you know, hell-like. It's got to be very random and weird in the less sense, you know, each portion makes to the previous, you know, the closer it is to what i feel like hell would be like um but i put that story into a little collection of um short stories and oddities and some of those would just be um just kind of pulled from like the most random things there's one that's in there it's like maybe a page long um just super quick short story um I just there was just this like white uh, like Chinese dragon on somebody's shirt, and I was just like, you know, it was one of those, it was one of those really cool moments where just all of a sudden the entire story just popped in my head. Um, this is while we were at a con, so I was just like, um, sat you know like sat down real quick and just started writing, and I was like, I hope nobody comes to the table for the next like five minutes. <laughs> um, and then with my comic stuff, it's been. I kind of liked what I did with "There Will Be Refreshments." You know, I I kind of liked you know the exploring the, the dark aspect because I've always I've always been a little bit queasy about horror movies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this one, I've actually decided to kind of try and keep it sort of narrowed in. Um, and I I finally I think I'm finally starting to figure out a theme. And um, the theme with this one, what I'm kind of pulling. Not letting your belief system control you, which is kind of revolving primarily around religion, and in that aspect, primarily around Christianity, because it's the one I'm most familiar with. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can't can't say a whole lot about like Buddhism because you know outside of just sort of you know the golden rule aspect of it and karma, that's all I know. And that may not even be accurate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's what you've, you've taken as what it means to you. Yeah. One last question I wanted to ask you was, um, what do you find the most challenging about your own writing or a specific story that you really struggled with that came out just stellar that you were really proud of?
2: It's really, actually, just um, actually completing a story and um, like just putting it into at least you know at least friends and families' hands to just kind of read, mm-hmm. um, like that, um, like that's that's the most rewarding part of, of of doing it, and in a way the most challenging because at that point you're just like, okay, well, you know, I could I could just write this and like hide it away and no one can ever have to read it but here read that let me know what you think (laughs) um which is you know which is cool because i i do have quite a quite a few supportive people around me um and uh you know so it's it it has helped in just going out into that but uh you know, then it's. But then you take it to, like, the cons and stuff, and it's like, yeah, here you go. Uh, <laughs> read it, enjoy it, please. Try to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so really that's kind of the most challenging part at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, initially it would just be just actually just writing it, but then I either read somewhere or somebody told me just, you know, well just you know just write it you never have to put it out there you can if you just write it down you can turn around and burn it if you want to but Mm -hmm. at least you did it that's true so it's that's kind of kind of what i've stuck with and i've actually kind of taken that and applied it to a lot of various aspects of my life it's you know you won't gain any experience or knowledge unless you just you know put yourself out there you may get burned but at least you have a scar to talk about later
1: that's right and then and then you're infinitely more interesting for having experienced something
2: (laughs) true this is very true
1: (laughs) so James where can people find more about you and your work online
2: um crazedpixel.com that's c-r-a-z-e-d-p-i-x-e-l dot com um covered with uh my stuff and alex's stuff um there are if you go there and you click contact you can find a few various other avenues um if you are into e-reading you can find there will be refreshments um on kindle and um actually probably around the time that this gets released i'll probably hop on there and actually make that um do a little giveaway for the first few days. Nice. so you know, nice little correspondence Read along if you will.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. So guys, if you're uh, listening now, go hop on to Amazon. We will have that link, all of these links in the show notes on the wickedlibrary.com and go grab a free copy of their be refreshments. And thank you James for coming on the show. Uh, I think that's all I need to say. I'm (laughs) efficient
2: Thank you again for having me It was, um, you know I I don't want to break the facade here But I was a little nervous
1: (laughs) You you didn't show it at all, actually (laughs) You did really, really well
2: (laughs) Well, you know, it helps to be able to, you know, sit in a room And um, I was actually tempted just to do it in my bathrobe Just because it's nice and toasty but, you know, I was like, eh, I can at least try and pretend like, you know, somebody might see me.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think in the Wicked Library specifically, you could totally show up and just chill in the basement in a bathrobe. It would be
2: fine.
0: <laughs> From Jedi Buffy. Enjoyable for horror fans. I listen to a lot of horror fiction podcasts. While this is not my favorite, it's among the better ones, in my opinion. As with all fiction podcasts, the stories can be hit or miss, and a lot of this will depend on personal taste. The audio quality is good. The narrator and the host is good. There's an interview with the author after the story, which I usually don't listen to, but it's a nice feature. Four stars. So, honest review. I appreciate it. We love the five-star reviews, but, you know, um, I understand, and I think it's honest that there are things on here that are personal taste. We do work hard to try to have a lot of different variety, and not everything is going to appeal to everyone. But the goal is to make sure that at least the quality of the show, the quality of the stories, and the production is at a very high level every week, regardless of whether or not the story may be one that you'd pick yourself. Arieni, A-R-Y-E-N-I. Best Horror Fiction. I am recovering from neck surgery, and these spooky stories absolutely help me pass the time. I'm giving the show five stars, as should everyone who enjoys the awesome entertainment provided by these talented people at Society 13. So, Society 13 is the podcast network that we are a part of as the Wicked Library. It includes the Wicked Library, the Abercast, Ninth Story Podcast, The Lift, the Queens of NC-17... History Goes Bump. I could go on. Just a Story Podcast. There's a bunch of them. So that's our network that we are a part of. We at Ninth Story Studios create Ninth Story Podcast, The Wicked Library, The Lift, and Listen. The other shows on Society 13 are created by other talented podcast creators. You can find everything over at society-13.com. Oh, back to the review. Mr. Foytek, you are the best horror fiction host out there, and I really appreciate all that you do. I also love the crossovers with Victoria at the lift. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much for that. Tara underscore 83. Great creepy podcast. I enjoy every episode. Great production and storytelling. One of my favorites. That's from Canada. Thanks so much for that. Popsy mom. Best way to get housework done. Well, there we go. Wicked Library makes cleaning house go by in a flash. I plug my earphones in, and by the end of the episode, I have a cleaner house, chills down my spine, and a slight fear of cleaning down in the basement. Well, we can't help you there. Librarian might be down there waiting for you. You never know. Y2Tray000. Love, love, love. Keep up the good work. I've a couple of horror podcasts, which is really all that I listen to, and this is in my top five. I look forward to listening to an episode whenever it downloads on my phone. The voice acting, music, and stories are all great quality. The way you sit down with the author and ask for more insight on the story is amazing. Keep it up for many more years. Joseph Bridge. Great sound. I just found this podcast through the lift. I am loving the ambiance in every episode. The readers and audio are really great. Keep up the good work. Thanks for that. Sarah Nay, excellent. If you love horror podcasts, you should listen to this. The Wicked Library is amazingly awesome. I love the horror. Well, we love you. Thanks so much for taking the time to rate the show. Alchemist underscore light. Deliciously fun. A must-listen for all horror fans. The librarian will keep you coming back for more. Once you check in, you can't check out. It's like the Roach Motel, except, well, better. Cosmic Horror 96, best of the best. Definitely gets me through the day at work. I'm glad to hear that we can help there. The voice acting is superior, and the stories are curated expertly. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate that. Parker Housewife, great stories and storytellers. I'm impressed by the professionalism of these artists, and I look forward to every new episode. Subscribe and give them five stars. They deserve it. I don't know how to pronounce this. Yous de plush 25? I murdered your name there e s touche de plush 25 (sighs) i always feel terrible when i can't pronounce something stellar sometimes the actor and the character are of different genders something that can invite further suspension of belief or demand more from the actor that aside the intro is campy fun and the interviews are fun and interesting but the true value is in the story and the stellar work the producers do from selecting the stories to the production of the readings. One of the best podcasts. Amazing and creepy from Laura VA. This show is fantastic and it introduced me to Victoria's Lift. Keep up the creepy work. P.S. The show helps me run just a little faster with the adrenaline it pumps into my fears. Well, awesome. Cleaning houses, getting in shape, getting people through their work day. That's what we're all about here at the Wicked Library. If you'd like to hear your own review right on the show, just rate us over at iTunes. It's real simple to do. You can go to the website, which is the wickedlibrary.com, and click on the iTunes button. That'll take you over to iTunes to rate and review the show. Or if you're listening on iTunes, which 75% of you are, you can just rate the show right there. So once again, thanks so much to everybody for listening to the show. We will see you again in two weeks. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier to see what's waiting for you in the basement.